Welcome to Music History Monday for August 28, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Lohengrin. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the premiere performance on August 28, 1850, 173 years ago today, of Richard Wagner's opera Lohengrin in the central German city of Weimar. The premiere was conducted by none other than Wagner's friend and supporter and future father-in-law, Franz Liszt, 1811-1886. Liszt had chosen the premiere date of August 28th in honor of Weimar's most famous citizen, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, who was born on August 28, 1749, 101 years to the day before Lohengrin's premiere. The opera, the last of Wagner's stage works to be designated by him as being an opera, was brilliantly received and has been a mainstay of the international repertoire since that first performance. Alas, Richard Wagner, 1813-1883, was not in attendance there at the premiere. With a price on his head, he had been de facto exiled from Germany thanks to his activities in the Dresden Uprising of May of 1849. Wagner himself did not hear a full performance of Lohengrin until 1861, 11 years later, in Vienna. Be informed that both today's Music History Monday and tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes posts will deal with Lohengrin. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes will focus on three video performances, comparing video excerpts from each of the three performances in our search for a single prescribed recording. Wagner in Dresden and the Education of an Audience Wagner was hired as assistant Kapellmeister of the Royal Dresden Opera in 1843 at the age of 30. From the moment he took the job, his burning ambition was to turn Dresden into a hotbed for new German opera. In order to do that, he had to convince the conservative Dresden opera audience to embrace and support opera that was new and different. A tall order, that, educating the audience, one that long experience tells us only rarely succeeds. But we're talking here about the human dynamo that was Richard Wagner, for whom, in Dresden at least, failure was not an option. More than anything else, it was Wagner's own operas that converted a significant portion of his Dresden audience from the staid to the adventurous. Wagner's opera Rienzi, a traditional potboiler written in the contemporary French style, won the Dresden audience over to Wagner almost immediately in October of 1842. The Flying Dutchman, 
premiered in Dresden on January 2nd, 1843, well, that was another thing altogether. A psychodrama with terrifically challenging vocal parts, it left its audiences confused, not particularly entertained, but not turned off either. Having said that, the fact that The Flying Dutchman turned out to be a huge hit in other German cities instilled no small bit of pride in the Dresden musical community, which, for the most part, came to be delighted with its assistant Kapellmeister. The response to the premiere of Wagner's Tannhäuser on October 19, 1845, made it clear that something special was happening in Dresden. In an article that appeared in the Leipzig journal, Signal for the Musical World, the Dresden correspondent wrote, quote, It is a noteworthy phenomenon that the cool and unexcitable Dresden theater public has been transformed by Wagner's operas into a fiery and enthusiastic body such as can be found nowhere else in Germany, unquote. That fiery enthusiasm for Wagner's operas soon spread across all of what today is Germany. It wasn't just that Wagner was a German composer writing German-language operas based on Germanic-slash-Nordic subject matter. Even more, it was because Wagner's music was evolving away from traditional Italian and French operatic practice towards something of Wagner's own making. In Tannhäuser, Wagner blurs the edge between recitative and aria, between action music and lyric music. This was something new for German audiences, and it allowed dramatic momentum to build more powerfully, unchecked by traditional structural divisions. Wagner also deployed his pit orchestras ever more symphonically with the result being a level of instrumental magnificence that drove German audiences wild, even though it sometimes drowned out smaller-voiced singers who could not compete with the orchestra on equal terms. Yeah, when we call someone a Wagner singer, what we're saying is that a singer has a voice big enough to be heard over a Wagner orchestra. Lohengrin 1848, gestation. On his doctor's orders, Wagner spent much of the summer of 1845 taking the cure in the Bohemian spa town of Marienbad, in what today is the Czech Republic. Among the summer reading Wagner brought with him were the poems of Wolfram von Eschenbach, who lived from 1170 to 1220 and an account of the legend of Lohengrin. Wagner had been intrigued by the Lohengrin story for years, and it was during his stay at Marienbad that, according to Wagner himself, quote, there suddenly sprang up before my eyes a Lohengrin, complete in every detail of dramatic form, in particular the saga of the swan, yes, we'll get there, which forms so significant a feature of the myth." Unquote. Wagner had been ordered by his doctor to write nothing during his stay at Marienbad, 
Well, yes, one might just as well tell a male dog to stay away from fire hydrants. Wagner tells us that one day, while he was getting into his prescribed noontime bath, quote, I was suddenly overcome by so powerful a longing to commit Lohengrin to paper that, unable to stay in the bath for the regulation hour, I jumped out impatiently after the first few minutes and hardly giving myself time to dress ran back like a madman to my lodging to write out what was pressing so heavily upon my mind. This went on for several days, until I set down the stage plan for Lohengrin." Unquote. Wagner returned to Dresden in August of 1845, and it was there that he turned his prose sketch into what he called poetic verse that being the libretto of Lohengrin. Oh, a great anecdote. Wagner was in the habit of giving readings of his poetic verses, his libretti, to his friends. Among those who heard such a reading of Lohengrin around 1846 was the composer and music critic Robert Schumann. Schumann told Wagner, that he couldn't see how the poem could be set to music, given that Wagner had made no provisions for the traditional operatic divisions of arias, recitatives, ensembles, and so forth. Wagner biographer Ernest Newman tells us, quote, Wagner then found an impish delight in reading detached portions of the libretto to Schumann as if they were arias and cavatinas, whereupon Schumann smilingly declared himself satisfied." Unquote. Lohengrin Synopsis Lohengrin takes place during the first half of the 10th century in the port city of Antwerp on the River Scheldt in what today is Belgium. In the 10th century, Antwerp was located in the province of Brabant, which was part of the Holy Roman Empire. A nine-year truce with the hostile Hungarians is about to come to an end, and the king of Saxony, Henry the Fowler, he lived from 876 to 936, Fowler being a reference we trust to his love of hunting and not to bedwetting, has come to Brabant to help enlist an army in defense of what he calls the German Empire. Unfortunately, Brabant is in a state of near anarchy. King Henry asks a loyal and presumably honorable knight named Friedrich of Telramund for an explanation, and boy does Telramund give us all an earful. Telramund informs Henry the Fowler that at some point in the past the Duke of Brabant died and entrusted his daughter Elsa and his son Gottfried Gottfried being the heir to the dukedom, to the care of Telramund. Now, standing before King Henry, Telramund accuses Elsa of having killed her baby brother in order to rule Brabant herself. The assembled worthies react with horror to this revelation. King Henry buys Telramund's story hook, line, and stinker, my bad. The king declares a trial by champion be held, a fight to the death between Telramund, 
the accuser, and whomever is willing to fight for Elsa. Well, who should suddenly show up to fight for Elsa but an entirely unknown knight dressed in silver armor who arrives on a little boat drawn by a swan? This mysterious but clearly heroic knight, I mean, he's typically blonde and dressed all in silvery white, promises to fight for and then to marry Elsa, provided she promises never to ask him his name or where he's from. Elsa's cool with that, so our mystery knight fights Telramund, bests him, and then spares Telramund's life. In punishment for his calumny, Telramund is banished from Brabant, but he doesn't leave. It is in Act Two that Telramund's wife, Ortrud, moves to front and center of the opera. O.M.G. How we love Ortrud. She is a breath of the freshest air, evil, slimy, conniving, and power-hungry. In an opera otherwise filled with stock, cardboard cutout characters, she is magnificently human. Okay, she's also a witch who worships the pagan gods, but nobody's perfect, right? Through her own brand of dark magic, she manages to plant seeds of doubt in Elsa's mind. Who is this magician with the swan you're marrying? And how the heck can you ever trust him if he won't even tell you his name? This is, in fact, a fair question. The wedding and wedding night follow. Elsa, finally alone with her man in silver, cannot control herself, and she asks him, who he is and where he's from. A deeply saddened silver dude says, You broke your vow, I'm out of here. But before he leaves, he announces to everybody that he is Lohengrin, the son of Parsifal and a knight of the Holy Grail. As the swan and the boat reappear to take him home, Ortrud gleefully cackles that it was actually she who removed Elsa's brother Gottfried by turning him into the swan. Lohengrin prays to God, the swan disappears, and Gottfried, which means freed by God, appears in its place. A dove flutters down from heaven to draw Lohengrin's little boat away. Ortrud collapses and presumably dies from frustration, and Elsa drops dead from causes unknown. End of opera. Lohengrin. Big storylines. The plot of Lohengrin turns on human frailty and the promise that cannot be kept. It's a plot derived from a number of sources. In Wolfram von Eschenbach's epic poem, Parsifal, the Knights of the Holy Grail, the spiritual order of men who protect the cup from which Jesus drank at the Last Supper, may descend to the mortal world in times of crisis. These knights, who are chosen by some mysterious power emanating from the Grail itself, must accept their duty with unquestioning faith. According to the rules of the Grail itself, if they or their origin become known in the mortal world, they must immediately return home to Holy Grail land, period. 
whether or not that makes any sense. Those are the rules, baby. Rules made up by a cup, for heaven's sake. Richard Wagner was fascinated with storylines that turned on temptation and the promise that cannot be kept. It's a story of temptation and human weakness that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's the same sort of crisis of faith and temptation faced by that godfather of all opera characters, Orpheus, who could not master his emotions and thus turned around to see if Eurydice was really behind him on his way out of Hades. For our information, Wagner employed exactly the same don't-ask-me-who-I-am plot device in his first opera, The Fairies. If Wagner's plot device is familiar, so is the character of Elsa. She is a female archetype that Wagner employed in four consecutive early operas, Rienzi, The Flying Dutchman, Tannhäuser, and Lohengrin. She is a Germanic fantasy babe come to life, young, blonde, loyal, not particularly bright, virginal, virtuous, and more than willing to die for her man. In Rienzi, she is Irene, the sister of the title character, a gal who'd rather broil to death with her brother in a burning palazzo than live in disgrace without him. In The Flying Dutchman, she is Senta, who becomes, literally, the flying Norsewoman when she takes a header off a cliff to her death in order to redeem the Dutchman. She is Elizabeth in Tannhäuser, who, after expiring in a faith-induced haze, personally intercedes with God on Tannhäuser's behalf. Now, in Lohengrin, she is Elsa, who likewise dies, presumably of a broken heart, at the conclusion of the opera. Speaking for myself, it's all pretty silly, even by operatic standards. When people die in operas, it's typically because they are stabbed or poisoned or bitten by snakes or commit suicide or are beheaded or dragged down to hell, that would be Don Giovanni himself, or in the case of Jean-Philippe Rameau's The Amorous Indies, the Incas of Peru of 1735, an evil Incan priest named Huascar is killed by flaming rocks during a volcanic eruption. But when people die in Wagner operas and music dramas, as often as not, they simply expire. Causes of death unknown. Hey, how'd you like to be the official coroner for Wagner's operas? Talk about a tough gig. Its silliness aside, Lohengrin was taken with dead seriousness by its contemporary German audience thanks to its German nationalist patina. That's because the opera is ever so slightly framed by historical fact, a frame that seeks to identify the knight Lohengrin's heroism and King Henry's fortitude as being among the virtues of the nascent German nation. King Henry I of Saxony, the Fowler, was a historical person who reigned from 919 to 936. 
His fame rests on having built a German coalition that successfully defended Germany from invaders from the east, those hostile Hungarians who were a dangerous foe at the time. However, its historical references and German nationalism aside, the opera Lohengrin is really about four characters whose lives intersect during the course of the action. Elsa, a virtuous soprano, Lohengrin, a heroic and mysterious tenor, Ortrude, a wonderfully wicked dramatic soprano or mezzo-soprano, and Ortrude's husband, Telramund, a baritone whose head has been turned entirely by the ambitions and evil machinations of his wife. When we return in tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post, it will be to meet these characters as they are portrayed in three different productions of Lohengrin. Until then, thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.